great as we look at God's word together. Father, we just want to lift up, Lord, these next few minutes, Lord, as we just look at this story of the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday, as it's also known. Father God, just, we just ask you to speak, Father, um, not me speaking, but that you would speak to each one of us, that, Lord, words that are spoken or heard wouldn't be, Lord, um, would only be what you want spoken and what you want heard. And, Father, God, we pray that you would change and refine everything lord that's about to happen for your glory father yours and yours alone that lord you'll bring comfort to those who need it a challenge to those who need that and lord encouragement and lord just your presence to all of us we pray and just really pray lord that you'll speak to us now as we look at your word together in jesus name we ask it amen before i forget sorry um i've got some we've got some easter leaflets uh, left over just advertising um our easter sunday service um if you would, anyone wants to stick them in their neighbours' front doors or something, um, that'd be brilliant. I'll leave them there. But I forgot to mention that earlier. Um, we're going to look at um, those verses that Gareth read to us uh, a few minutes ago. Um, we, but just to start with the story, last week me and Andrea and the kids were fortunate enough to have a few days away in the Cotswolds. Um, I thought it was a lot further away than it actually was. So when we got there within two hours, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, for some reason, I thought it was about four hours' drive away, but that's a different issue. My internal sat-nav never works, but there we are. And uh, we went for a, a pub lunch, which is, you know, in a holiday, we have a pub lunch, don't you? Uh, we never do that sort of thing. It's for Weatherspoons as well, so you know you've really arrived as a Weatherspoons posh. Anyway, I was in the toilet. I'm not going to tell you any more than that. And, uh, and I was in the toilet. I, uh, two men came in, and... Uh, let me move on. And, uh, and they started to have a very strange conversation. You're probably wondering what I'm about to tell you, aren't you? I should have written this down better. And uh, as I was washing my hands and they were washing their hands, they had a conversation which um, struck me as probably the most hollow conversation, the least significant conversation I think anyone has ever had in the history of humankind. They managed to talk for a long time and say absolutely nothing. So as I was washing my hands all politely and like a, a person not from Gloucester, um, they walked in. It went something like this. I'm gonna, no, I won't do the Gloucester accent. Because I'm not quite sure where it goes, actually. I always sound like I'm from um, anyway, somewhere else. So it started like this. Oh, well, hello, Steve. How are you? Hello, Reg. How am I? You know how I am. I do, you know. All well. As well as can be expected. Your good self. Keeping out of trouble. You, keeping out of trouble, but you're trying to. Oh, that I am, Stephen, that I am. Are you on the straight and narrow? Me? Well, I'll keep going, if you know what I mean. That I do, Steve, that I do. That went on for a bit longer, and I thought, none of you have said a word to each other, and they ended with that old chestnut, be good. <laughs> Isn't it strike you how often, as human beings, we manage to have and say and do things of absolutely no significance. How we utter so many words that just are hollow, mean nothing. Um, we do something, we do an action that doesn't have any effect really. We just do it because, you know, why not? It's something to do. And uh, my greatest fear in life isn't disease or my mortality or even age, although I'm not so pleased with age the more I advance into it. Um, but the, my greatest fear in my life isn't any of those things that may get me or affect me. It's actually that when I come to the end of my life, I won't have done anything significant with it. That is my greatest fear. Today is Palm Sunday. I'm talking about significance and actions that have a meaning. Here you have Jesus not doing some random act. He didn't turn up at Jerusalem and think, oh, I know it would be a good idea to enter a donkey. That'll do. No, this is a, an act dripping with significance, dripping 
with importance and meaning and analogy and all the things that we expect from Jesus. If you've got the uh, version, the, the, the story open in front of you, Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11, we'll read from it again in a moment. But what we have here is at the end of the third year of Jesus' earthly ministry. And we often forget, don't we, as people, that Jesus only did public work for three years. Three years. Do you think how long you might have been in your job or served in a particular, uh, a particular area of church life or served God somewhere outside of the church? But in three years, three years, this penniless, uneducated man from a town no one cared about has changed the universe. And not just in his philosophy and his words and his ethics, but every single day when he answers our prayers, when we're allowed to be brought into the presence of a holy God, when every day we ask forgiveness for our sin, he is the vehicle and the means by which we can know we are forgiven. He has changed not just the world, but the eternities of billions and billions of people. Death has lost its sting because Christ was risen from the grave three years to change the world. That makes me worry even more about not doing anything significant because I've been at this thing called life for longer than Jesus was. And he did everything by 33. And I'm soon to be a different age, but we won't go into that. So, um, so he stands at Bethpage with his disciples. Passion Week is, of course, ahead of him like it's ahead of us. This next week is Passion Week leading up to Good Friday, Easter Saturday, and then obviously Easter Sunday, this time next Sunday. Um, And so he knows what's going to happen to him. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) Have I I been going on that long already? (laughs) It's when you start tutting. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Lost my place. Where are we? Um, That's good. Anybody else want to do that before we carry on? (laughs) Sorry, Geraldine. God bless you. so he knows what's going to happen to him. He knows Easter's coming. He knows what's going to happen. He knows he's going to be nailed to a cross. He knows he's going to be rejected by his followers, betrayed by one of his best friends. He knows he's going to be covered in our sin, that he's literally going to be a sin offering for us. And he knows that he's going to rise from the grave so that all of us who trust in him needn't fear the end, but actually have everlasting life. But before he enters Jerusalem, before he goes through Passion Week, Um, He has to enter Jerusalem one final time in one amazing way with one very clear message that he was the one they had been waiting for. He was the one they'd been craving the arrival of for hundreds and thousands of years. The Jewish people were waiting for God's promised Messiah. God had said right from the Garden of Eden when sin first came in through Adam and Eve eating that fruit, he gave that prophecy, didn't he, about the serpent. He will will strike your heel and he will crush you. Crush your head and he will strike your heel. The first messianic prophecy that there was a figure that was going to come that was going to crush evil but with suffering. And as the Old Testament unfolds, you get this picture of this messianic king, this promised Messiah who was going to come and deal with the world, bringing deliverance from darkness. And boy, does our world need it. Boy, does our world need deliverance from darkness. Every day we have another list of countries to pray for, another list of situations that break our heart. Every day, darkness seems to win. But the, the message of Easter is that darkness doesn't win. Even when all hope seems lost, Christ rose from the grave. There is resurrection power. There is resurrection hope. Jesus always has defeated darkness, and he will not stop today. 
We trust in God's plan, God's goodness, God's sovereignty, our Saviour. The Jews were waiting for this figure who was going to come and set them free. His message for them and for us was, I am he, I am the one you've been waiting for, God's son, the king of kings. And as he rides on in, onto Jerusalem on a donkey, he's making a big statement to those that live there that, and those that read the story that everybody has a very simple choice to accept him as their king or wish him away, wish him dead. Don't forget, this same crowd almost certainly a week later would be shouting not Hosanna, but crucify. We have no king but Caesar. The inhabitants of Jerusalem would change their mind and reject Jesus as their king and wish that he was dead in place of a murderer, Barabbas, to be freed in his place. This morning, the same choice is for every single one of us. Is he your king this morning? Is he the one that you follow? Or is he the one that you wish away, wanting to lead your life your way? Is he our king this morning? The question isn't, do you believe in Jesus? Even the devil believes in Jesus. In fact, the devil is probably more convinced of Jesus than any other human on the planet because he knows who the saviour of the world is and he fights against him. A losing battle, I might add. But is he your king this morning? Is he the one that you choose to follow? That's the choice that's facing Jerusalem as Jesus enters on a donkey. That is always the truth. And when it comes to Jesus, the truth is we're either accepting him or we are consciously rejecting him. And when we stand before God, all that's going to matter isn't how good we've been or how many good works we've done. God is only going to be interested in one thing, whether we have accepted his son, Jesus Christ, as our salvation, or whether we have rejected him. We must not sit on the fence when it comes to Jesus Christ. There is no fence sitting available. Charles Spurgeon, that famous uh, Baptist minister from a long, long time ago, a few hundred years ago, wrote this quote about almost saved Christians. And I want to read it to you. I read it this week on holiday, and, um, and I thought it was a good quote. Bear in mind, it's a bit old. It says, Do not be satisfied, any of you, with half a conversion. I am afraid that there are a great many that have not much more than half a conversion. I know a man, I hope he's converted, But I wish that the Lord would convert his temper. He prays very nicely, but you should see him when he is red in the face at anger at his wife. I know another man. I hope he is a Christian. It's not for me to judge. But I wish that the Lord would convert his pocket. It needs a button taken off, for it is very difficult to get it open. It's very easy to put something in, but quite hard to take anything out for any good purpose. This morning, Jesus is the king. Palm Sunday wasn't a historical act that was finished. He still waits for people to make that decision. If you're not a Christian this morning, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one you have been waiting for. Don't reject him. So let's read those verses from Matthew 21, verse 1 to 11 again. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came from Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say say the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to, to daughter Zion, See your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt at the foal of a donkey. 
The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is a truly unusual event in the life of Jesus. Normally when his popularity got too big or crowds realized who he was, he would often vanish, go somewhere else to another town or another village or say to them, don't tell anyone who I am. Yet here at Palm Sunday, he's not shying away from that notoriety, from that fame. In fact, he's orchestrating it because as this final week begins leading up to Good Friday and Easter Sunday, he wants Israel to know who it is that has finally come. Matthew gives us all this extra detail about going to get a donkey, uh, a foal and a colt for Jesus to sit on. And uh, the reason he gives all this information is because hundreds of years before, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, God had told, had given a, a prophecy to the prophet Zechariah that one day God's king would come and they would recognize him because he would come riding on a donkey. And he quotes Zechariah 9 for us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Zechariah 9, 9 uh, says this. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What was prophesied has now been fulfilled in the life of Jesus. God's people were waiting for a saviour, a long-promised Messiah. In the Old Testament, there are literally hundreds of prophecies about this Messiah that would come, and here he was. And do you know what's really sad this morning? Is that the Jewish nation, by and large, has missed its salvation, has missed its Messiah, should I say. Salvation is available to everybody. They are still waiting for Zechariah 9.9 to be fulfilled. They are still waiting for the King of Kings. They are still waiting for God's promised Messiah, but he has already come. So we must, as Christians pray that our Jewish brothers and sisters cousins if you like would have their eyes open to know the king of kings the savior of the world as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey he's claiming to be that figure spoken of uh, that he'd come come to give them freedom and just look at the crowd's response it's loud and it's overt one of the most uh, interesting things about Britishness um, we often are a bit down ourselves aren't we we say we're not loud enough we're not overt enough Um, But we are quite loud at times, aren't we? Uh, We're loud if we go to football games. We're loud at parties. We're not sometimes as loud at church as we ought to be. We can let that go. You don't feel constricted by the pew in front of you. If you want to shout a hallelujah or an amen, even a preacher, brother. I don't mind that. Um, So, only if you want to. Um, But their response is loud and it's overt. They're shouting Hosanna, which means save. And that's a real challenge, isn't it? It's a real challenge to us on Palm Sunday, is our worship, is our faith in this king that we say we follow something that is loud in our lives? I don't mean do you yell at the top of your voice, because if you do that down Bell Street, you may get some funny looks. But if God calls you to yell down Bell Street, go for it. But is our life shouting loudly that we are followers of the king of kings? Our character, does it scream Jesus? Our decision-making, does it shout Messiah? Our use of time, does it call out Christ? 
Those crowds couldn't help but shout Hosanna in the highest. If we're not yelling that with our lives, is Jesus really our king? And if he is our king, shouldn't we be a bit louder for those that know us? Do people even know we follow this king, Jesus? You're in no doubt what that crowd thought on Palm Sunday. And so he sits on this donkey. He says to the crowd and to us that he is God's king. This donkey is a sign of peace as well. Kings ride on horses for war, but when they come in peace, they ride on donkeys. Jesus' message from day one, right from the beginning of his birth, has been about peace to all men and women. And that's why this crowd reacts so much. They understand the significance. That long-promised day of deliverance and peace had finally arrived. The king had come, not for war, but for peace. And so they honour him. They pay him homage fit for a king. I wonder, do we lay our cloaks before Jesus? Not literally our coats. Although I heard a wonderful story once about someone who had a very expensive coat in the heart of winter and he passed a homeless man under a bridge. And although his coat cost him a lot of money, he couldn't help himself but stop his car, get out and give it away. I wonder if we give enough stuff away to those who have absolutely nothing. Do we lay our cloaks under the feet of Jesus? Think of that analogy. He's on top of what's theirs. Our priorities, are they under the feet of Jesus? Our plans, our time, our energy, our characteristics, is that all under the feet of Jesus Christ? Is he king, not just of Sunday, but of every single area of our lives? Is he king of your fear? That may seem a strange phrase, but do we place even our fears under Christ? We've been given a spirit, not a fear, have we, in Jesus We need to trust in his strength when we have none. And we put our weaknesses under Jesus Christ and let him be our strength. Maybe this morning that's all you need to do is just put your fear and your brokenness and your worries under the feet of Jesus, trusting that he is king over even that. Is Jesus above us? Do we bow to his will and his majesty? And so the crowd see this image and this message and they break out in praise. They cry out Hosanna, which means save, but developed over the years to become an expression of praise, almost a, a word that they sung. But there's a real sadness in this story, isn't there? Because despite the intensity of their worship and their declaration, a week later, the mood of that city would completely change. This crowd are probably thinking and hoping that Jesus came to deliver them from the oppression of the Roman Empire to set a nation free from another nation. But Jesus didn't enter Jerusalem to kick out the Romans. He entered Jerusalem to kick out Satan, to kick out death, to kick out darkness. He came to offer a better kind of freedom, not temporary peace from an aggressor in a neighboring country, but everlasting peace between us and a holy God. He didn't come to drive out Romans, but to defeat a bigger army, the army that threatens every soul on this planet, the devil himself, sin, and even, yes, death. This crowd would soon realize that Jesus didn't meet their expectations, and cries of Hosanna will be replaced with cries of crucify. We have no king but Caesar. And there's a real challenge here this morning for every single one of us. Perhaps they gave up because Jesus didn't fit their expectations. But what king does the will of his servants. Servants do the will of their king. This morning, it may seem hard for you to trust Jesus. It may seem that he's not doing what you think he should be doing. Something may face you and it may even get worse. 
and you may wonder what on earth he's doing. But remember that what you want deliverance from isn't necessarily what Jesus has come to bring peace into. It may be a bigger picture at play, a bigger story that you may not ever know quite the satisfactory answer to. But Jesus is there. He is arriving and he knows what needs to happen. He defeats the bigger enemy, not the one that we think is right in front of us. As Christians, we're called into an amazing relationship with this king, a beautiful friendship where we can call him friend and even brother. Yet we also know him as king and saviour, king of kings. Jesus does a deliberate act with a clear message that the king had come. And why did he do this? Well, verse 10 gives us the answer. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up and asked, who is this? This simple yet defining question would cloud the week to come. And again, the leaders and the crowds would be given that choice. Is he going to be your king on Good Friday? Or will he be a criminal that you nail to a cross? So who is this, they asked. And the answer was clear. God's only son, our Messiah, the promised one, the lamb that would be slain, the prince of peace, our salvation. This morning, Jesus is still king. He still comes in the name of the Lord to bring peace where there is none. He still rides on a donkey, not for war, but for peace and deliverance. Not towards Jerusalem, but towards every single life, every single heart in this building. As we sit here this morning, who is Jesus to you? Not to mean you can have him as you want him to be. That's not how it works. But will you accept him as he is, the King of Kings, the Messiah, or will you shut the gate to your heart? Palm Sunday is a statement with a question left hanging for a whole week. Will he be our king or not? On Friday, we will see our king nailed to a cross for every sin we've ever committed. He will take on the devil at his own game. He will die. And on Easter Sunday, we will shout at the top of our voices, oh yes, we will, because our king will come back to life. And so Palm Sunday is there in our minds. So how do we finish thinking about Palm Sunday? Sedate? Quiet? No. <laughs> Were they quiet and sedate when he rode on a donkey? Were they not loud? Did they not shout? Were they not happy to see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Was that not the defining moment for some of them, surely? Or did they go, oh, okay, it's nice. There was something loud and passionate about them. So what I'm going to do now, I'm going to read to you some names of your king this morning. And you reply how you feel. I won't tell you to shout or whatever. But all I want us to do is reply by calling out, Hosanna. In fact, let's say Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. And if you feel, do you know what? Yeah, that's brilliant. Be brave enough. Be louder than a sneeze. <laughs> Sorry, last time I mentioned that. Last time ever I mentioned that, Geraldine, I promise you. <laughs> but let's not be that we're a church that when something happens above a few decibels, we're all a bit shocked. Let's be a bit louder. So I'm going to challenge you to be like the crowd who welcomed a king. Because the king is not dead. 
he lives and he is, guess what, here this morning. So if you have to imagine him on a donkey walking down here, do that. If you imagine him sitting off to over there or standing here or wherever, do that. Whatever helps you. But the king is not dead. And how would you welcome him this morning? So I'm going to ask all of us to call out Hosanna in the highest. I will call out some names. We'll all shout Hosanna in the highest. But do it how you feel comfortable and where you feel you are spiritually. Don't do it the way you think I want you to do it. Because that's not how this is supposed to be. This is a response. And then we'll just have a, a song or two to finish with afterwards. So... He is Almighty One, Hosanna in the highest, the Alpha and the Omega, the author and perfecter of our faith, Hosanna in the highest, the bread of life, the beloved Son of God, Hosanna in the highest, our chief cornerstone, the Good Shepherd, the Great High Priest. He is the I am. He is the Emmanuel, God with us. Hosanna in the highest. He is the judge. Hosanna in the highest. The king of kings and the lord of lords. Hosanna in the highest. He is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Hosanna in the highest. He is the light of the world. Hosanna in the highest. He is our mediator and our messiah. Hosanna in the highest. He is the mighty one. Hosanna in the highest. He is the prince of peace. He is our redeemer. He is our risen Lord and our saviour. Hosanna in the highest. The son of man, the son of the most high, the son of God. Hosanna in the highest. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the word of God. He is the creator of all and the truth. And one more, nice and loud. He is wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Hosanna in the highest. Good. We're see. <laughs> Let's sing the last couple of songs and take that, those words into our worship. And just relax as you sing and you worship your God.